episode, we will explore the complex but literally vital topic of healthcare. Thanks to infamous COVID-19 crisis, shortcomings in healthcare systems around the world are more visible than ever. Yet, in some countries, the poor state of the healthcare system is part of a much deeper and long-standing problem. And people in Tajikistan know it firsthand. One of the poorest countries in Asia, with the 9.5 million population and only $55 per capita investment in the healthcare sector, is in our focus today. To help us understand the situation with the healthcare system in Tajikistan, we invited Sebastian Perus, research professor at the Institute for European, Russian, and Eurasian Studies, Central Asia Program at George Washington University. Welcome, Sebastian. Thank you very much, Marina, and thank you so much for inviting me to participate in this podcast. Yeah, thank you too. Before we start the discussion, though, I wanted to mention to our audience that IPHR recently published a research paper on the topic. It's called The Alarming State of the Healthcare System in Tajikistan. Could you tell us a couple of words about it? Well, we decided actually to try to work on a report considering first, I mean, the very difficult situation of the healthcare system in Tajikistan that we have seen uh, this last 10 or 15 years, uh, or even more than that, I would say even since independence, combined with many uh, questions and concerns that the COVID-19 has provoked in the country. So we thought that it was the right time to to write a a report to mention and address several, uh, not all of course, but several of the issues that the healthcare system in Tajikistan is facing. And as I remember, it's a part of the bigger series you plan to do on the Central Asian countries. Am I right? Absolutely, yes. Uh, we'll pr- have one uh, report uh, on Uzbekistan and hopefully uh, reports too on other countries in Central Asia. I mean, there are issues in all the countries of Central Asia, different issues, of course, as you can imagine, the situation is not the same in Kazakhstan or like it would be in uh, Turkmenistan. So that's why we thought that instead of uh, writing a general report on Central Asia, it would make much more sense to write a specific report on each country of the region. Yeah, we will be looking forward to it. And uh, yeah, for now, again, the message to our audience, you can check out this report on our website, iphronline.org, and also you can read the paper in English, Russian, or Tajik language. Now back to questions. The first chapter of your paper is called Medical Infrastructure. How did it get this bad? Uh, Let me use this title as our first question. So how did it get this bad? And what are the main factors which you think contributed to the really dire situation characterizing the Tajikistan healthcare system today? Thank you for for your question. Well, uh, I would start here by saying that Tajikistan uh, has, of course, mitigating circumstances. I mean, it's a poor country with uh, limited economic resources and which experienced several years of civil war in the 1990s and which, of course, uh, largely contributed to uh, weaken the medical system. Uh, But uh, since the peace agreements were assigned 
signed in 1997. Actually, Tajikistan has invested a little in the medical sector. And still today, actually, of all the states of the former Soviet Union, as you said in your introduction, Tajikistan invests the least in health, only $55 per capita, which is an amount uh, essentially equivalent to that in, uh, in Afghanistan. A second point is that the majority of medical facilities in Tajikistan were built between uh, the 1930s and and late 70s. And many of these infrastructures have deteriorated significantly since the collapse of the Soviet Union. So this combined with the lack of investment in the healthcare system has meant that there has been a lack of funds to modernize the old structures or to build new ones. And so now many medical uh, facilities have, for example, outdated equipment. Uh, Some even don't have a satisfactory supply of electricity, of water, or even of heating, meaning that some of them have to close in winter time. So the dilapidated uh, state of medical facilities and the disengagement of political authorities have led the population of small cities to participate in the repair reconstructions. And I would like to add here that many medical facilities in rural areas are even in worse shape, and most rural hospitals are staffed with only one doctor or, for some of them, even with young, inexperienced nurses. So there's uh, medical rural facilities often lack basic, also basic medicines such as painkillers, which means that many patients prefer to avoid local health centers that are supposed to provide provide primary care, and then they instead go to the city or regional hospitals, which are meant to provide secondary and tertiary care. And a last point here, I think that there is overall in Tajikistan a lack of physicians and nurses. Um, The number of doctors per capita has declined since the 1990s, and today, unfortunately, Tajikistan has one of the lowest ratios of doctors and of nurses to citizens in Central Asia or Europe. Mm -hmm. Thank you. And uh, yeah, what you're saying is already really uh, scary, to be honest. But to better illustrate current healthcare infrastructure in the country, let's uh, do a sort of short visualization exercise. Let's imagine that we have a heroine. She is a rural woman. Let's call her Afsana. Afsana is around 40. She lives uh, somewhere in the rural area. She lives in Gorno, Badakhstan province, for example. She needs to see the doctor because she experiences sharp pain in her stomach and she feels really bad. What can she do? What are her options? What will Afsana do? Well, if uh, Afsana has a pain in her stomach, a sharp pain in her stomach, she would, of course, need first to see a GP or general practitioner. So here, the first problem is that family medicine remains underdeveloped in Tajikistan. Ideally, globally, a family doctor should serve a population of 1,500 individuals. In Tajikistan, actually, a doctor serves between 7,000 and 8,000 people. So uh, first, 
Avsana might have some difficulties to find a general practitioner. And if Avsana can visit general practitioners, but if the general practitioner considers that she might have a serious disease or just wants to be on the safe side just to check that Avsana does not have serious disease, then she would need a further tests, which would require, for example, the use of sophisticated modern medical equipment. It means that she would certainly have to travel to the main city, which, if she lives in the Pamir region, would be Rorok. And what it means here is that accessing to uh, medical facilities can be difficult in this mountainous region. Uh, many Tajikistanis live far away from medical center. And uh, the problem is that in Tajikistan, this isolation is worsened by a poor road system. Tajikistan hasn't invested enough in the transport infrastructure. And in Pamir, this is made, I would say, even worse by harsh winter uh, climatic conditions and by a public transport system, which was a good and efficient under the Soviet regime, uh, but which has a significantly deteriorated after independence. And now public connections between villages and cities are poor in Pamir, but also in many other places, actually, in Tajikistan. Now, based on the test results she gets, uh, if Afsana needs to see a specialist, this might be even more difficult than seeing a general practitioner, meaning that uh, there might not be a specialist in Horog or in Pamir. So this means that uh, she would need to travel outside uh, her region and she might even have to go to the capital city, so to Dushanbe, where the best hospitals and uh, specialists are. And then comes actually an essential question, I think, uh, which is what is Afsana's financial situation? I mean, can she afford these medical services or can she just afford uh, traveling inside the country? Can her family support her? If indeed Afsana needs to see a specialist, uh, this means plenty of expenses. Traveling first inside her region, then uh, outside the region to reach a specialist. And uh, moreover, in Tajikistan, like in all the Central Asian countries, also uh, consulting a doctor or specialist is supposed to be free, many doctors and specialists require payment, which is officially illegal. But So if you take into account all the expenses that Afsana might have to go through, uh, many people living uh, in Pamir like Afsana might not afford uh, an appropriate medical treatment. So she might just see, in the end, a local or not necessarily a good doctor. She might not be able to get the required medicine. Her health might worsen, and at some point, her health could be put at risk. So this is one of the reasons why uh, the healthcare system in Tajikistan is facing very serious issues. Oh, this is quite a picture, uh, to be honest. Uh, And would the scenario be better if she lived in Dushanbe, for example? Uh, 
I, I guess the answer would be yes, because first, uh, there are much more and better medical uh, facilities in Dushanbe. Accessing medicines uh, is much easier. And the second point is that Afsana, in that case, wouldn't have to travel far just to find a GP or a specialist, which means that she would have to spend uh, less money. And in case of serious situation, she obviously could be treated in uh, much shorter term. Mm -hmm. And if we switch now from patients to doctors, professional medical personnel is, as we know, a crucial element of the well-functioning healthcare system. And Tajikistan has one of the lowest ratios of doctors to citizens in Central Asia and Europe. Uh, one may presume justifiably that the main reason for this is low salaries and poor working conditions, uh, because it's similar to what other FSU countries experience. Yet, uh, do you think there are additional, more concealed, maybe, aspects which exacerbate the situation? I would say here that there are several uh, combined issues, uh, something that we see in all Central Asia and in some other countries of the former Soviet Union is that due to low salary and poor working conditions, uh, the medical profession has lost much of its prestige. And this is a case in Tajikistan and Tajikistan's medical sector faces uh, significant difficulties in recruiting and hiring. And among the concealed aspects you're asking, the salaries are low, and as you said, but uh, the salaries are further lowered by compulsory deductions beyond regular taxes, such as, for example, uh, subscriptions, mandatory subscriptions to state-supported uh, newspapers or for the maintenance of medical uh, structures. Uh, and according to the testimonies of several medical staff, these mandatory levies are often opaque and part of a wider pyramidal corruption system, which forces some staff to pay the equivalent of between uh, 40 or 50 US dollars to the chief doctor, which is a very a significant amount, of course, for underpaid staff. Still related corruption, a very concerning point is that despite the severe uh, staff shortages, job applicants in the medical sector are often forced to pay I would say exorbitant bribes to get a job, which can amount to the equivalent of around $5,000 to get a position in a hospital, for example. So what does that mean? Well, it means that a part of uh, the qualified staff remains unemployed or emigrates, which, of course, exacerbates a serious problem of understaffing, and this further undermines the medical uh, system in the country. So what is this today uh, striking to see is that many uh, Tajikistani doctors have emigrated uh, to countries with better working conditions, better wages, and in particular, Russia. So, I mean, the Tajik government does not provide information or data on this trend, but we know, for example, that 
at least uh, 700 Tajikistani doctors work in the region of Moscow. So I'm happy, of course, for Russia because Russia lacks doctors and medical staff, but this emigration has a big and certainly a negative impact uh, on Tajikistan. Yeah, and uh, you already started uh, talking about corruption, and I will use your expression of the pyramid of corruption. Could you tell us more about how it looks like in the medical sector in general in Tajikistan? Uh, what are other levels of this pyramid of corruption, so-called? Well, yes, indeed. I mean, corruption is a, is a very uh, important question. And indeed, I just briefly mentioned how the medical staff is facing the issue of corruption. But there are very different uh, dimensions when it comes to corruption. First, I think it's important to say that corruption in the medical sector and with the medical staff results first of all from the low salaries that doctors and all medical staff get in Tajikistan. So here, uh, very importantly, I think, in many cases, corruption, corruption does not stem from uh, dishonesty on the part of health professionals, but it is caused by the very low wages that uh, force doctors and nurses to seek alternative sources of income just to make a living or to support their families. And this situation is unlikely to change significantly until fundamental reforms are undertaken, including the provision of wages, which will be uh, consistent with health professional skills and education, and which will be consistent with the difficulty of their work and of the cost of uh, living. Now, that being said, there are, of course, also reports of truly corrupt health professionals who refuse to treat a patients who cannot or will not, uh, will not pay bribes. And this is, of course, definitely a very serious and concerning issue because it can threaten the life of people who are seriously ill. But the problem here, I think, is that the majority of the population is not informed about its rights and does not know what to do in this kind of situation. So to respond to this situation, the political authorities could, for example, launch, uh, let's say, a national information campaign to raise patients' awareness of their rights, to urge them to exercise their rights, and if necessary, to contact uh, competent authorities with complaints. But the problem is that in authoritarian states, uh, governments actually favor uh, repressive uh, measures against uh, corrupted uh, persons. Whatever the reasons of corruption, they favor a paternalistic stance to demonstrate concern for uh, the general public. But they are I think, much more reluctant to encourage people to assert their rights, fearing that this could stimulate political and social activism directed against the administration and the political authorities. And a last point, which I think is important here, uh, is that corruption in the medical sector is actually a part of wider problem found in all state services and throughout the uh, Tajikistani administration, which consists of 
paying to access better services that are actually officially free. Uh, in the medical sector, what we see is that many patients pay bribes, uh, which are not directly requested by doctors, but which they hope will lead to improved uh, attention or to improved care. And this practice is also fueled by the lack of uh, adequately qualified medical personnel, which leads patients to try uh, to bribe their way to receiving treatment by those health professionals with the best reputations. In your paper, you mention, and I'm quoting, that effective healthcare systems and authoritarianism are not necessarily contradictory. And you provide a Singapore as an example. Uh, yet, as we see, authoritarianism of uh, Tajikistani government seems uh, to only make the situation with the healthcare system worse. Could you explain why authoritarian Tajikistan will not likely become the new Singapore? Well, uh, I mean... Singapore has, of course, uh, despite its authoritarianism, has invested a lot in the medical system, in the development of human capital, in education, in uh, training the medical staff, and which is not the case in Tajikistan. Uh, well, here I'm not saying that there are not good doctors in Tajikistan. There are, of course, some excellent doctors in the country, but investment in the medical system in Tajikistan uh, are definitely insufficient. And there are several reasons. One of them is the lack of economic resources. As I already said, Tajikistan remains a poor country. But an important point is that the situation in Tajikistan has been worsened by what we could call the misappropriation of the profits from the country's scarce resources by the president's family and close circles. And in particular, those of the state aluminium company and biggest national exporter, Talco. Uh, and this misappropriation has gutted investments in social welfare, including in the health sector, which means that Unfortunately, Tajik people involuntarily subsidize Talco by living without appropriate uh, health services or without appropriate education or electricity. And the problem is worsened with the fact that these last 10 years, uh, the president has further uh, tightened his grip on the country's resources, which has resulted in further deterioration of the social welfare system. And in addition to that, in Tajikistan, uh, the government's investments in uh, medical facilities has been less a real effort, effort to uh, improve the system and more of an effort to bolster its image and reputation. This is, for example, repeated, uh, reflected in the a uh, repeated announcement by the government of improvements in the medical infrastructure, for example, but which have not really materialized. And this is a point that all the persons I interviewed in Tajikistan to, re uh, to prepare this report have really insisted on. Uh, and this is also demonstrated by, for example, the geographical concentration of new medical facilities, which are predominantly in the capital city of Dushanbe, where they are 
visible ads, a demonstration of the president's commitment, as well as uh, highlight the region from where uh, President uh, Rahman originates. Uh, this focus on highlight actually is part of the president's strategy to secure the loyalty of the elites of this region on whom he has actually heavily relied uh, since the end of the civil war. Yeah, like by listening to what you're saying while we're having this conversation, it's uh, it becomes really clear that uh, the health sector problems in Tajikistan, they are more like a mix-up of many factors. There is a political side of it, the social, the historical, the cultural. And in this case, it's um, kind of a tangle, which excludes the possibility of like one solution of one-fits-all solution from somewhere from the outside. Uh, at the same time, the experience of international actors who provided already aid to authoritarian regimes such as Tajikistan shows that it results often in negative externalities. In this context, what do you think would an effective role of international community look like? So this is a kind of complex question because there are have been many debates, discussions this last uh, two or three uh, decades between scholars and specialists on development on how foreign aid should be uh, provided. My point here is that based on uh, numerous studies and assessments of, of foreign assistance over the past two or three decades, it may be better to turn away from uh, some big, I would call, utopian assistance plans which um, generally impose what we call the one-size-fits-all reforms, which uh, promised great things, but which too often actually has been devised by outside planners who did not necessarily have enough knowledge on the local context and have sort of uh, local issues as more of a technical engineering problem that they could easily solve. And many scholars and development specialists consider that solutions actually are likely to be more effective if they adopt a homegrown approach. What does that mean? It means that uh, rather than advocating for a big push from, from outside, assistance through uh, projects that are modest, uh, more modest at least, less costly, and so in line with what uh, donors today can, can invest are probably uh, are more likely to bring concrete results to uh, the most uh, vulnerable population. Another positive side with this approach is that it also allows for the development of direct contacts or more direct contacts with local stakeholders. So this also helps them to share their concern, uh, their expectations concerning the local medical infrastructure and health system. Also, I think that more modest projects make 
it possible to involve a larger number of actors such as uh, CSOs, I mean, civil society organizations, or even businesses, you know, through a corporate social responsibility program. And finally, due to uh, corruption, uh, funds to support national programs have been difficult to track in Tajikistan. So a more localized assistance also uh, mitigates, I think, the risk of having uh, the resources appropriated by high-level predatory elites. So there are uh, many steps that can be taken, such as uh, contributing to the development of local, medium-sized medical infrastructures. I will not list them now, of course, uh, but what I would maybe like just to mention to conclude on that, what is interesting is that some uh, initiatives have been already implemented, especially by uh, the Aga Khan Foundation, I mean the Aga Khan Development Network and its agencies, which has, for example, opened many uh, small uh, medical facilities in remote areas. Uh, the Aga Khan uh, Foundation has developed e-health teleconsultations, which provide substantial assistance to many vulnerable, poor, and isolated people who cannot easily access medical centers and qualified medical staff. So this is really this kind of specific measures implemented, especially in poor and remote regions, which I think could contribute to uh, improving in a very concrete way the health of many people in Tajikistan. This is great indeed that we have positive examples to look at. And also continuing on the solution path, uh, the last question, um, what recommendations do you have to the government of Tajikistan and to the local stakeholders, in particular to the civil society, on improving the state of the healthcare system in the country? Well, to the government, my recommendation would probably be to go beyond measures that are sometimes symbolic and that do, unfortunately, little to improve the situation, such as, for example, symbolic salary increases for medical staff, which is trumpeted in the newspapers, but which are, in fact, lower than inflation. Or I would recommend to go beyond measures that are sometimes, uh, how to say, surprising, and that do not improve in any way the situation. For example, last year, in 2019, as the state of the medical system and the working conditions of the medical staff were increasingly criticized in Tajikistan, the government actually reacted by composing an anthem uh, dedicated profession or, you know, declaring a doctor's descendants of the Aryan people and heirs of the famous Avicenna, thinking that, I mean, this would uh, convey feeling of pride among medical staff, and I'm definitely not sure that these kind of measures contribute a lot to uh, improving the healthcare system. So, I mean, the improvement of the healthcare system obviously will uh, depend on many factors, which of course includes a substantial uh, improvement in the working and uh, salary conditions of the medical staff, the construction of 
a real universal health system, by the way, which is no longer the case, which does not exist anymore in practice in Tajikistan. So all of that, of course, supposes major reform to put an end to, or at least uh, to uh, significantly reduce corruption at the highest level of the state, which has a very uh, negative impact in the development of the health sector. But and I believe my other main recommendation is to go beyond an approach which consists in carrying out a policy in many sectors and including in health, which sometimes actually aims more to guarantee the security of the regime than to address and respond to difficult situations. And uh, the most recent and sad example is this year, in the beginning of 2020, when the Tajik government refused to recognize during several months, until at least the end of April, the uh, COVID-19 pandemic, when at the same time so many testimonies from Tajikistan uh, were confirming that the situation was deteriorating quickly and that many people were dying. So I think that it's essential for the government to restore a trusting environment between the population and its ruling elites through dialogue with the populations, with uh, the main stakeholders, that is, uh, with uh, medical staff, by letting the civil society work and contribute to address the health sector without fear of uh, censorship or reprisal, as it is unfortunately more and more the case in Tajikistan. I think that uh, it is thanks to local stakeholders, thanks to the information provided by patients, by doctors, by nurses, by uh, civil society organizations working in the medical sector. It is with and thanks to all these actors that the government will be able to undertake reforms really genuinely connected to the reality uh, in the country, to go beyond the uh, symbolic measures that I mentioned and which, in the current context of uh, political authoritarianism, is hardly the case. And my recommendation for civil society is, despite uh, the increasingly difficult conditions where many in the country where many civil society organizations have been censored or repressed these last uh, years, they need to continue their work, which consists of collecting information, supporting dialogue between patients, the medical staff, and uh, the local and even central uh, political uh, authorities. Uh, civil society organizations have a big and essential role to play here. Thank you, Sebastian. These are the great recommendations. And yeah, we hope that the future actions in the sector in Tajikistan will move beyond anthems to more practical and effective remedies. Thank you very much again, Marina, and to the IPHR for, for this invitation. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you very much for coming and joining us. This is it for today. For today's episode, Human Rights Survival Guide will be back with you next week. Stay safe and healthy, everyone, and stay tuned for our future episodes. 